0: everybody and welcome to episode 33 of the first and foremost sports
1: podcast. I'm your host Jimmy Covington. What's up what's up I'm Quentin Douglas the one and only. And we back at it again once again. Quentin how you doing? I'm doing great bro how about you? I'm
0: doing all right man been working all week got a game tonight so I'm just trying to get a
1: look just trying to chill out for a little while. No doubt no doubt yeah I got it. we both got high school football playoff games so I hope oh. it's a good competitive game and not a blowout. It my game should
0: be. It was a 20
1: point, it was a you know,
0: Ravenwood beat Franklin by 20 in the regular season, but that was like September 4th when
1: they played. So we'll see. Haywood and Dyersburg got canceled the first time because Dyersburg had COVID cases. Out of 10 games this year, I probably only actually covered like five or six. No, i didn't <laughs> been crazy. i didn't done. done Maybe
0: seven or eight, something like that. It's a, but it's a different game every week, though, so. Right, you do different schools, yeah, for sure. Man, we got some some great topics today, so let's go ahead and get started. Right. So, you know, last few days there's been some hot NBA rumors, including the Suns discussing the trade for Chris Paul, uh, James Harden, you know, talking about trade and Westbrook wanting out. So, Quinn, give me your thoughts on all of those situations.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, first, the CP3 situation, um, I would think that the OKC Thunder are leaning towards rebuilding. You know, looking at they lost Coach Billy Donovan to the Chicago Bulls. Uh, They could be losing a big free agent with a guy like Danilo Gallinari. And you have to think they're ready to turn the keys over to guys like Dennis Schroeder, uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And not to mention, they got all those first-round picks uh, from the Paul George trade. Uh, but looking at CP3, he has two years, $85 million left on his contract. Uh, he was actually very effective last season. He averaged 17.5.7 assists, second-team all-NBA. Of course, he led the Thunder to the first round of the playoffs. I think if you put him on that Suns team in the first round, that they would have beat that Houston Rockets team. Looking at, you know, what Devin Booker brings to the table, you got DeAndre Aiden in the middle, uh, who's a future all-star. And then Mikael Bridges is one of the better young perimeter defenders in the league. Um, And then, of course, Chris Paul actually played with Monty Williams uh, the 2010-2011 season in New Orleans. So you already have a perfect fit there. And you have to think the Suns are being pretty aggressive, given they're about to have $200 million renovations on their arena. Uh, they had a $40 million practice facility. And they went 8-0 in the bubble, in case you forgot. Uh, they had a lot of momentum. Of course, Devin Booker went crazy. He had that game-winning shot. Uh, and CP3 gives them that established veteran leader uh, at the point guard position that you need. Uh, when you're trying to grab a playoff spot. And, you know, the Suns have been tried – they've tried to replace uh, Steve Nash since he's left town. You know, they've had Goran Dragic, Eric Bledsoe, uh, a lot of guys. So, you know, CP3 will finally give them that point guard that they need. And then looking at the Westbrook situation, I didn't expect it to go south that fast. Uh, But, you know, what did they expect? Westbrook knew it was James Harden's team. James Harden wasn't going to play off the ball. Um, so Westbrook should have known he was getting himself in that situation to begin with. But at this point, if he does get moved, i say his best bet the New York Knicks. I, I can't think of a contender that needs someone like Russell Westbrook, considering how ball-dominant he is. Uh, and there's still $130 million left on his contract. But unfortunately, I am a Russell Westbrook fan, but I think his best chance at a ring was 2016 when they blew the 3-1 lead to Golden State when he was still with Kevin Durant Uh, because clearly Houston is trending down in the Western Conference. Uh, If they made the playoffs next year with their current team, they may get the seven or eight seed. Uh, but the team just isn't constructed to win a championship. Uh, and, of course, Daryl Morey and Darryl, or Mike D'Antoni are no longer in town. So, I think a Russell Westbrook move is all but done at this point.
0: So, I'm going to start with Westbrook. Uh, for me, uh, I'm a Westbrook fan, too. You know I am. And everybody knows I'm a Westbrook fan. Uh, but for me... I, like you said, I don't know of a contender that really needs Russell Westbrook. And like you said, I think his best bet will be maybe New York, or you know, I've recently, I think over the last couple of days, I've seen uh, some interest from Charlotte as well. I don't know if he want to go there, uh, but with well, Russell Westbrook, I mean, you know what he brings. Uh, you know, he's a he can't, he's not a great shooter, uh, but he does everything else at a high level. He, I mean, he was averaging 27 points. Eight rebounds, seven assists, and was shooting a career high forty-seven percent from the field uh, before play got suspended. I, I don't believe it's more of a, a fit problem. I think you know I saw something where Westbrook said he was concerned about the direction that the franchise was going in, and I also read about you know Steven Silas and that they they were going to double down with the small ball, and the small ball proved ineffective uh, come playoff time when they when they matched up with the Lakers. So I think I think that played into a part into it as well. I don't think more so it was Harden or his role, uh, but they had that's what has been reported his role. Uh, so you know it's it's gonna be interesting to see you know what Westbrook does, what they do with Westbrook. Like you said, hundred thirty million dollars left on his contract, uh, and he's thirty turned thirty two years old yesterday. So I mean, as a fan of Russ, you know I just want to play out his last his last years. How many ever years he has remaining just want to be able to play those years at a high level uh, in, a, in a good situation, whatever thinks he fit, whatever thinks is best for him, basically. Uh, but for the Phoenix Suns, I really don't like them trading for CP3. And my main reason, you know, I have several reasons. I have more reasons why I don't want them to trade for them. I only have a couple reasons why they should. I mean, potentially you could elevate the Suns to, to a playoff team for the first time in 10 years, but, I mean, they're not going to be a contender they're not going to be better than Denver. They're not going to be better than the Lakers. You know, they're not going to be better than the Clippers, I don't believe. So, I mean, you, what, you can elevate them to, you know, 5'6", but, I mean, are you really going to sacrifice, you know, future assets and, you know, great young players for being a five, seed? I wouldn't do it. Uh, Chris Paul, he did play well. He played great last year. Uh, he was relatively healthy which is – he hasn't been healthy, you know, for a full season for a while. You know, the last couple of seasons he's missed at least 20 games in all those seasons. Last year he only missed two. He's owed $41 million next year and $44 million in 21-22. And that's a player option. And, and, you know, when you're thinking about it, you know, a, a trade package might could include Ricky Rubio, more than likely Kelly Uber, was in the last year of his deal, and possibly number 10 pick could be in play. I mean, he'd be an instant upgrade over Ricky Rubio, an exponential upgrade over him. But I'm not doing that for a 35 year old Chris Paul. And then if you do that, you wouldn't have cap space for the 20 for the 20 21 22 season as well. And so I'm I'm just not doing it. I mean, if you think about the teams you got to contend with, like I said, you got the Lakers, the Clippers, you got Denver, Golden State, you got Houston, Dallas, Portland, Memphis, New Orleans, Sacramento. Basically, the Western Conference outside of San Antonio, you have to compete with those. And you pretty much know what the top four or five seasons is going to be. And you pretty much compete with the rest of those teams that competed in the bubble for the A.C. And, you know, Chris Paul, could he possibly put them over the top? Yeah. Uh, but I think people were fooled by the way they played in the bubble because if you think about it, a lot of those teams rested. Uh, when they beat Miami, Jimmy Butler didn't play. Me, I don't even think Jimmy Butler played, you know. No. There was some when they played uh, the Thunder, uh, Chris Paul played twenty minutes. You know Steven Adams and Shea and Alexander. They and Danilo Gallinari they didn't even play. So a lot of those games they won against teams that were resting. And so you know that eighty no, I didn't really put too much weight on that eighty no. No, um, no. For me, if I'm Phoenix, I'm not making that trade. I mean, I know Chris Paul still, he's still playing at a high level. Like you said, he was second team All the NBA, but. That's too much to give up for a thirty-five-year-old point guard. That's only going to put you in playoff contention, not championship contention.
1: Well, I mean, even if they if they kept Kelly Oubre, Rubio, and that ten pick, I still don't think you know they'd be a championship contender. But I think if they could trade those pieces, get Chris Paul, you still got cap space. You know, you could add somebody. Like I said, Gallinari, he's about to be a free agent. Just somebody uh, who could add another scoring punch or defense, you know, whichever route they go. I think they could maybe be a six seed. uh, But, you know, like I said, even if they don't get CP3, the next two or three years, I don't think they'd be any better than what he'd be able to provide them over that time frame.
0: If I'm Phoenix, I'm actually going after somebody like Fred Van Fleet. A younger point guard, and I think that that might even put them in playoff contention, and without having to lose, you know, Kelly Oubre, and then you may be drafting a solid player with a tenth pick, and so and keeping Mikhail Bridges and you know Ricky Rubio, you could do whatever you do with him, but you know you basically trading away some valuable assets to be in playoff contention, and if you're gonna do that, you want to be in championship mm. contention, and so I wouldn't. That's why I wouldn't make a move.
1: I like – I'm well, you know, I'm a big Fred Van Fleet fan, but I think for that team, I don't think he's consistent enough to provide, you know, that leadership and that playmaking ability that they need at point guard. I I just see him as more of a, a scorer. I think he could go somewhere – he's going to want to go somewhere where he's more of a focal point on the offensive end, and he's going to want a bigger long-term deal too, so –
0: One thing we didn't get to was the Harden thing, too. I also want your thoughts on that, James Harden.
1: Oh, I think – I mean, I think they're both out of Houston, even though he said he's committed to them long-term. Like I said, I mean – and you mentioned it, too. You know, Houston as a whole, they're just trending downward in the Western Conference. Uh, You know, the way they've built that team over the last few years – That's not going to be something that's going to be fixable in the next season or so. And James Harden isn't getting any younger. He's not going to want to waste prime years trying to rebuild a roster uh, that they know isn't going to win the championship in that conference. Because like we said, the Lakers are still there. You have to expect the Clippers to come back. The Warriors are going to be healthy. The Nuggets, they're going to be a problem. Uh, the Mavericks, they could add somebody. The Trailblazers, Blazer, Trail Trailblazers should be healthier this season, and of course the Jazz, Grizzlies. I mean, the list goes on. Uh, but you know, I just don't think he'll stay around in Houston much longer. I think if you trade Russell
0: Westbrook, man, you got to trade James Harden as well. Like you said, he's not going to want to
1: be. He's not going to want to be
0: around for a rebuild. And you know, he's been linked to Philly, and I think you know maybe if Philly would listen, you might could trade him for, for Ben Simmons straight up. Uh, but if not, I'm thinking, you know, Ben Simmons, Matisse, Stiebel, and possibly a couple picks that should get it done. Uh, if not, like I said, if not for Ben Simmons straight up. I uh, Also, you know, I was re- reading a couple articles, and I saw something about Denver uh, maybe sending uh, Will Barton, Gary Harris, and hmm. Michael Porter Jr., possibly like a pick or two. I don't know That's if that nasty. would get it done. And, you know, what I was listening-
1: I'll go ahead.
0: I was listening to Jay Williams of ESPN uh, earlier this morning. He said something about Brooklyn, uh, you know, training, yeah, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie say. and Karis LeVert. So, you know, those are those are really the only places I've heard for James Harden. So, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, over the coming weeks before the season, the NBA season starts. And, it, you know, it's rapidly approaching, you know, a little more than a month away.
1: But, yeah. And, of course, the drafts next week too. Yep. So, you know.
0: Like, it's shaping up to be a short but interesting offseason in the NBA. No doubt, no doubt. But let's move on to our second topic here. You know, college football, you know, there's been a bunch of canceled games, you know, but overall the product mm-hmm. has been pretty good. You know, there's been some, some good games that have been on over these last, you know, couple months. And, you know, the college football playoff is will be here before we know it. So, with that being said, Quinn, uh, you know, Let's start with our
1: picks and start off with four. All right. So, right now at the four seed, I'm still going with Clemson. You have to look at they don't have Trevor Lawrence right now, which they should be getting him back after this week off. Um, they don't have a lot of key pieces on defense, which we clearly saw that against Notre Dame. Uh, but still looking at that team, Trevor Lawrence is already a lock, is probably the number one pick in next year's draft. Travis Etienne is the best running back in the nation uh, with what he brings to the table on that offense. Uh, Like I said, they'll get Trevor Lawrence back, uh, and they'll probably get another shot at Notre Dame down the line in the conference championship game if they win out. Uh, So if they're healthy for that game and can beat uh, Notre Dame, I think, you know, we could arguably see two ACC teams in the college football playoff. For my
0: fourth C, I got the Florida Gators after an impressive victory of a top five team in Georgia. But and I think in order for them to get to the playoff, they will have to beat they will have to win out and beat Bam in the SEC championship. I don't I don't believe that I don't believe that the committees will allow a two loss ACC team in, mean, no matter how good they are. And the loss against Texas A and them hurt greatly. And I think Texas A&M is, you know, I would have them at five or six, but their loss hurt greatly. I, you know, maybe if they would have won undefeated and then lost to Bama, then I would see the argument. But I don't believe the committee's gonna allow a two-loss playoff, a two-loss team in, regardless of what conference. No, no. So who do you have for number
1: three? Three, I got the team that beat Clemson. I'm going Notre Dame. Uh, of course, you can't ignore the fact that uh, Clemson didn't have Trevor Lawrence at quarterback, but Notre Dame showed their physical, their offensive line. They got a lot of veterans up there, that's stout up front. Of course, you think of Notre Dame, you think of Zach Martin, Quinn Nelson, Ronnie Stanley. Uh, they still got guys like that that they're churning out. Uh, Ian Book, their quarterback, he wasn't asked to do too much. Uh the running game, like I said, that O line blocked well. Ian Book, his legs were probably his best weapon, you know, considering he made some timely plays with his legs. Uh so I got Notre Dame as the third best team. And number three, I actually have
0: Clemson. Uh, I knew, I mean, they're obviously one of the four best teams in the country, and they were were without the potential number one pick in Trevor Lawrence. Uh, but I think, you know. Clemson obviously can't suffer another loss if they want to get in, and I think they will have to be they will have to be Notre Dame in the ACC championship to get in. I don't think Clemson, with two losses, is going to get in because, quite frankly, outside those two teams, the conference isn't good. I know North Carolina is ranked pretty highly, but outside of those three teams, the conference really isn't good. And week in and week out, the we see that the competition isn't much. So I think they have to win. Clemson have to, will have to win out to get in.
1: I think they will win now. So, what do you got for me? I mean, yeah, I don't think they even have anybody really notice, notable left on the schedule that I saw. Uh, but my two seed, I'm rolling with my squad, Ohio State. <laughs> we cruising in the Big Ten right now. I know we don't have any competition, but you can't blame who they put in front of us. Uh, our offense has been highly efficient. Justin Fields looks like he's playing against air out there. Uh, He's making the case for top QB in the country. Looking at his stat line, he's averaging 300 yards a game, passing yards, 11 touchdowns to zero interceptions, uh, and his 96.2 quarterback rating is first in the country. And I didn't even mention he's completing 87% of his passes. Uh, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are dynamic on the outside. We got all the freshman receivers that are contributing early, arguably catch of the year already by one of them that you wouldn't pay respect to. Uh, And, of course, we just got to see if we can run the ball, and we need more playmaking on defense, but we're second-best team in the country right now. I don't have you in the top four. You have simply you
0: simply haven't played enough games. But that's just my opinion. And number two, so, I have Notre, I have Notre, I have Notre Dame. Uh they beat arguably the best team in the country without, you know, their quarterback, but they did bring in a five star QB. Uh that's his backup. So, you know, I mean they like you said, they showed they were physical. Uh they did what I expected them to do. And I think for Notre Dame to get in, you know, uh I would say obviously the first path is to win out. But I think possibly mm-hmm. they could. I think possibly they still could get in, even yeah, if they lost. I think the, so. Even if they lost to the Clemson in the ACC championship game, but I think my only caveat was that with that is that they would they couldn't could not be blown out. If they get blown out by Clemson, yeah. I don't think they get in. But if they they lose, might put
1: in Texas A and M over them
0: at that point. Just gonna say if they lose by five or six points, then okay, and, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think you know. Either win out or you know lose by a slim margin in Clemson ACC championship. I think that's the that is their path to getting it. So Quinn, who do you have at number one
1: right now? I think Bama still you know holding the title as the best team in the country uh, and with the best resume. Of course, they dominated Texas A and M. That win is starting to look better with how Texas A and M is playing. Uh, they easily beat Georgia. Um, of course, Georgia's highly ranked. Mac Jones is, you know, he's made a case to be the best quarterback in the country this year. Uh, you know, he's really surprised a lot of people. And, you know, just looking at the way he throws the ball, he's been really effective. Uh, and Najee Harris has been a monster himself in the backfield. Uh, so, of course, uh, like we said, they're missing Jalen Waddle. I don't think they'll really see any effects of that until late in the season, maybe in the college football playoff. Uh, But other than that, they should still be able to score with the best of them. I also have Bama at number one. I mean,
0: they look like the best team, in my opinion, in the country. And I think they could even get in with a loss in the SEC championship game.
1: Yeah, I think so, too.
0: Like you said, Mac Jones has played out of his mind. The deep ball is one of the best I've seen in college. Devontae Smith is looking like the best wide receiver in the country. Najee Harris is balling out. You know, he's scoring two or three touchdowns every single game. And the defense Mm -hmm. has even found a way the last few weeks to make a few plays here and there. And that's pretty much all you're going to need when you're scoring over 40 points a game. So, Bama looks like the best team in the country, in my opinion. And Mm -hmm. I expect to see see them in the college football playoff.
1: Me too. But it's definitely going to be interesting for the committee this year because, you know – What if a team like USC goes undefeated in the Pac-12? What if BYU goes undefeated? You know, a team like Cincinnati, like we said, Texas A&M, they could only have one loss at the end of the year to Bama. So, and of course, you still got games getting canceled too. So, it's going to be real interesting to see how it all plays out.
0: And I think what the committee has shown us is that your resume matters, and who you play matters. Yeah. So when you got teams like Cincinnati and BYU, they could go undefeated. But I I still wouldn't think they're one of the 4 base teams in the country but simply because of the, the competition that they face on a, weekend, on a weekly basis.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, you do still have to give them some kind of consideration. But then that just points back to my biggest issue with college football. I think it's become too regionalized. It's pretty much just the southeastern sport at this point. It's just all SEC or nothing. I mean,
0: they have been dominant. I mean, you know, of recent years, you know, Clemson and you know, Ohio State, they've stayed their claims, but they're always among the best in the country.
1: Uh, so, I mean, I mean, yeah, because this is also where all the players are. So, well, we'll see.
0: You know, I think they no, I think they even talked about delaying the college football playoffs. So you know, the way COVID, will oh, probably
1: the, have to, yeah.
0: And the way COVID has been, you know, can, it's been a lot of cancellations, especially specifically in the Big Ten. I've seen some SEC yep. cancellations, so it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see going forward. You know, how the rest of the season pans out in college
1: football. Uh, but yeah, moving on, I'll go. yeah. no. I was about to say. I think I saw they're gonna have to already postpone the SEC championship game. So it doesn't surprise me, no deal. But moving forward to our next
0: topic here, Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson uh, and on the Rich Eisen show said the teams were calling at their plays on the line of scrimmage. Quentin, is this a big deal to you?
1: Looking at it from my perspective, I you know, I don't like the fact that he went on the radio interview and you and said something like that, excuse me. I think that's something that should be hashed out, you know, internally, player to coach. But, you know, I think you have to look at it on both sides. You know, it is the coach's responsibilities to make adjustments. But, you know, at the end of the day, Lamar's going to have to realize the longer he's in the league, defenses are going to catch on to what he's doing because they're pretty much doing the same Tendencies and patterns, you know, majority of the plays of a game. If you're running it first down every series and you're throwing it inside the numbers to, you know, Mark Andrews or whoever, every or Willie Sneed or every slot, uh, defenses, of course, are going to stop you. Um, and like I said, Lamar Jackson, at first, you know, he was just so unique and one of a kind, but now everybody has film on him. They've seen him multiple times, um, so they know all his weaknesses. And now more than ever, those weaknesses are being magnified. For me, uh,
0: I have a little bit of a different take. So, you know, from what I've been listening to the last few days, it's not uncommon. It's not not something that we haven't seen before. But I I think therein lies a bigger problem. You know, when you think about – if you just, just think about the Baltimore Ravens on offense, and so, you like you said, they are extremely predictable. And, you know, defensive coordinators are smart, and they've had time, you know, over the, over the offseason to develop game plans and check out tendencies, mm-hmm. and players do the same thing. So, you know, if, if on this formation you got Mark Ingram in the game and they know you're going to run this play, then they know what to look for. And I think that's the problem. The offense is too predictable. And I think, you know, my biggest issue is the lack of receiving help that he has. You know, you know you got Mark Andrews, who's one of the best tight ends in the game. Uh, but outside of that, you don't have I don't you don't have I don't think they have a wide receiver that consist that can consistently beat man coverage. That's my biggest issue. You know, if you look around the league, what team outside of Baltimore will Hollywood Brown be the number one on? Maybe Jacksonville.
1: No. They got even then, DJ Chart.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And think about <laughs> on what team will Sneed be a number two? I don't, I don't know, know what team. I mean. Exactly. That's there in, <laughs> there in lies the problem. And so when they're throwing the ball, they're trying to throw it to the middle of the field. And teams know that. You know, and Lamar, I mean, of course, Lamar has to progress and get better as a passer. We all know that. But receivers also have mm. to get open, too. You know, Hollywood Brown tweeted about, you know, what good is having soldiers if you're not going to use them? Well, your soldiers got to do the job, too. And they're not doing their job. You're, it's your responsibility to get open, you know. And Lamar has to, do, has to get better with ball placement, things like that. But you're not really helping them out at all. No. I mean, and think about too. it.
1: That goes back to the coaches too, cause it's part of the coaches' responsibility too. If your players can't get open, you got to scheme them open. Exactly. Lamar
0: Jackson has twelve passing touchdowns, and seven of them have gone to tight ends. His receivers had the least the least amount of combined receiving yards last year, so they haven't yeah. improved. They haven't improved much. Like you know, of course they have a great stable of running backs. They got two good tight ends. But even the offensive line isn't the same from last year. They lost basically a Hall of Fame guard in Marshall Big Yonder. injuries. Marshall Yonder retired from last year. Like I said, he's yep. basically a Hall of Famer. Ronnie Stanley missed a few games early and then, you know, hurt his ankle a couple weeks ago. They also lost a starting right guard yep. in Tyree Phillips. So this yep. nearly half of your offensive line missing is having to be reshuffled. Now your right tackle is going to left tackle. You got to move somebody else out to tackle. So, you know – the team isn't perfect. And then, you, you know, you think mm-hmm. about the offseason. They added two interior defensive linemen. Then they also, at the trade deadline line, traded a third-round pick for a pass rusher on the expiring contract. And they already have Matthew Judon on the expiring contract. So, all they did was add to a, a team that was already good on the defensive side of the ball. You didn't give them any help. You know, you saw what Lamar did last year, but you knew teams were going to adjust. So, I, I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. understand why they didn't try to get him any help. You know, I'm sure, you know, you heard was about A.J. Brown. You know, you heard about Julio, which neither one of those guys ultimately got traded. My thing is, you know, try to go get Antonio Brown. That was my whole thing. We've seen videos of him working out with Lamar Hollywood over yeah. summer. Why did, why did you not try to go get A.B.? You have a great culture, you have a great locker room. Why not bring A.B. in? He's been a model citizen so far by the Buccaneers from all players and coaches. He's been doing what he's supposed to do. He looks like a changed man, you know. From listening to conversations about Antonio Brown, he he is a changed guy. You know, he did what he was supposed to do in the offseason. He got some help, so why not go get Antonio Brown?
1: Unfortunately, it's probably some people that just got their minds made on what <clears throat> on, I mean, they got their mind made up on what they think about. Him. And don't get me wrong;
0: I'm glad they signed Des Brown, who's always been one of my favorite players. You know,
1: but but how much is he really gonna offer or break exactly? You, you still don't have a number
0: one receiver. You know, you still have a receiver that can consistently beat man coverage. That's my whole thing. They cannot consistently beat man coverage. You cannot win if you cannot beat man coverage. I don't care how great of a team you have. And that's my whole problem with the Baltimore Ravens. And like I said, I've mentioned, I am a huge Lamar Jackson fan. He has to get better. But you also got to give him something to work with outside of a tight end and some running backs. You know, in this league, you do have to throw the ball. And if you think about all the great quarterbacks, they have some dynamic
1: receivers at
0: the very least.
1: No doubt. I agree with you. They got to get some kind of help out there.
0: They're going to have to do something in the offseason because I, I still don't believe they're not going to win the championship. Not like
1: this. And, I mean, even as it shakes up now, they be like, what, the five seed? They be playing like at Indianapolis or somebody. Which I mean, they just just beat them last week, of course, right? Uh, but But I think before that, it was the Titans, which, of course, the Titans still basically kind of neck and neck with them for their division,
0: exactly. And they play Tennessee, you know, next the following week, uh, next week. So,
1: we're gonna see in Tennessee, keep an eye on
0: in Tennessee's defense isn't, you know, what it was last season, so you know, exactly. So, you know, we may have some league with you know. We, we're gonna see what they're gonna do Sunday night, and then the following week. But you know, it's just like it's the the team is predictable offensively. You know, the defense is great. We know what the defense is, but offensively, you can't you can't be predictive offensively. And that's, that's I think Lamar.
1: too part of it. You can be predictable because what we well to a certain extent because what we saw with Lamar and them was. You knew what was coming, but because they had the personnel to pull it off, they could just run it at you and you couldn't stop it or do anything about it. Uh, But, you know, with those injuries, like you said, you definitely can't ignore how big of a factor that is. Uh, And Lamar said in that interview, too, that, you know, with players being hurt and things like that, he tries to do too much at times, so – in that regard, he also has to tone it down himself.
0: And like you mentioned, you know, like I said, a retirement here, a few injuries there, and another year we're coordinating. You know, last year was something that nobody had ever seen.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: You know, in terms of running the football, it's something that the league had never seen. The league had never seen the quarterback run the ball that well and also be able to leave the league in touchdown. it's something the league had never seen. So they had a full offseason, you know, even though it was a little while, it was a little different. They still had time to prepare and scheme up to stop it. Exactly. So, you know, you had an advantage. Now that advantage is even. But you don't have the same personnel as you had last year. And then it kind of puts you behind. So, you know, they're going to have to find a way to change some things up and get it done. Or they're going to be out early in the playoffs once again.
1: But, hey, things definitely aren't, you know, completely over because they're still 6-2 and two right now. So.
0: Exactly, and it's crazy. It's, you know, we we coming with all of this this criticism. We're talking about you know their faults or whatever, but they're still they're still six a great and two. team. Yeah, they're still six <laughs> and two. They should they should be seven and one. They should have beat Pittsburgh. I don't care what nobody say. They dominated Pittsburgh in that game, but okay. Lamar's Lamar's four mistakes is what gave them the edge. Like they absolutely dominated Pittsburgh. And, and me personally, like I mentioned, I'm not really impressed with Pittsburgh. The last three games, they haven't played a complete game of football. They've played a great yeah. half that got them to win, but they haven't had it played a complete game in three weeks. I don't care what nobody says or a Steelers fan.
1: I haven't um, been impressed with them all season, honestly. Nope. I think, you know,
0: some some seasons, you know, you get lucky. Luckier than others. And I think this is what they had a, great, a weak
1: schedule starting up.
0: They're a great team, obviously, but they're also, you know, there's a little luck, a lot of luck involved in it too.
1: Yeah, because they're a very flawed team. <laughs>
0: but, but, but let's move on to our last topic of the show. You know, our, sure. this is our fourth installment of the Give Them His Roses segment where we recognize a player, or you know, a retired player that doesn't get their just due. Uh, so Quinn, who do you got?
1: All right. Well, this time I switched it up. I went NBA. Uh, You know, previously I had done all football players. So this time I want to show some love to the Dream Hakeem Olajuwon. Uh, Hakeem, you know, first I want to you know his accolades can't be ignored. He was a two-time champ, two-time Finals MVP, uh, a twelve-time All-Star, twelve-time All-NBA, of course. He won league MVP once, two-time Defensive Player of the Year, nine-time All-Defense, and, you know, a fun stat about him, he averaged two steals and two blocks on defense for a season four different times, and no other player in history has done it more than once. Uh, So, you know, people have made the argument that he's arguably the greatest defensive center of all time, and, you know, you definitely can make the case for him given his resume. Uh, But, you know, starting in college, he went to University of Houston and put them on the map. Uh, He was actually teammates with Clyde Drexler, uh, and they called themselves Five Slammer Jammer, actually. Uh, They made it cool to dunk. And, of course, they went to two natties, but unfortunately they couldn't win either one of them. Uh, but, I mean, as soon as he came into the league, he went to the finals in his second year. Uh, of course, the Rockets had him and Ralph Sampson. So they were pretty dominant in the middle. But, of course, they lost to Bird and the Celtics in six games uh, in the 85 finals. But Hakeem had 80, or 33 in game one of that series. And, you know, after that, Boston just decided they weren't going to let Hakeem beat him because they made it pretty tough for him. But, you know, a lot of his career was wasted because he had some rough years where he was individually great, but he was in one of those situations where his owner wanted to sell the team. So because of that, there were occasions where they lowballed Hakeem Olajuwon on his contract. So guys like Patrick Ewing, Uh, And other elite centers in the league, while they were getting paid, uh, they were taking advantage of a king wanting to stay in Houston and, you know, pretty much giving them cheap contracts. But nobody ever hears about that because 94 95, they repeated back to back championships. And you can make the case, which I think it easily is, uh, his 94 season was the best season by center in NBA history. Uh he was the MVP defensive player of the year, finals MVP and the champion. And he averaged 27 points a game with 12 rebounds, three and a half assists, uh nearly four blocks and a steal and a half. Uh, and I mean that's just crazy as a center to think that he was doing that. And I didn't even bring up his his signature move. Uh, I mean, it's arguably the most unstoppable. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm thinking about about Kareem. Not Kareem. I'm thinking about, yeah, that's the wrong person. But right after that, I think, you know, he significantly declined because he had a knee injury uh, the 97-98 season at age 35. Uh, So, you know, he just wasn't really able to recover. So after that, that was pretty much all for, uh, you know, his career. But I think they definitely could have gave Michael Jordan some fits if they had met in the finals.
0: Possibly, that would have yeah, been I a agree.
1: good matchup. i read you. Hakeem
0: is criminally underrated. Uh, He's one of the most versatile players that the game has ever seen, and he, he need he needs more credit. Uh, but for me, I'm going with a wide receiver that played in the 2000s, and I'm going with Derek Mason. Uh, Derek Mason. 5'10", 187 pounds out of Michigan State. I actually worked with Derek Mason a couple summers ago uh, at ESPN 102 fighter game in Nashville. Uh, He was uh, a co-host for the Morning Drive, uh, their morning sports show. Uh, But Derek Mason played his career with the Oilers for one year, Titans, Ravens, and spent time with the Jets and the Texans. Uh, During the 2000s, he was a two-time pro bowler. Uh, He was a first-team all-pro in 2000 as a returner. Uh, and he was a Pro Bowler in 2003 as a receiver. And that in itself, in and of itself, is a crime. So let me read you a little bit of his numbers. 934 receptions, 12,061 yards, and 66 touchdowns.
1: He put up some numbers.
0: That's not all. I remember him Uh, putting up some numbers. 1,590 point return yards and two touchdowns, 3,496 kick return yards and a touchdown. He has seven over 17,000 all-purpose yards, which ranks 19th in league history. He had eight 1,000-yard seasons in a nine-year span from 2001 to 2009. His last 1,000-yard mm-hmm. season came with Baltimore when he was at age 35. He has the most receiving yards in Ravens history. Mm-hmm. And he's had the 6th most receiving yards mm-hmm. in the Oilers and Titans history. And if you want to dig deeper into his numbers, his first three seasons, he was primarily used as a, as a return man. So he racked up some yards. Basically, He racked up basically like 6,000 yards, you know, in a, in a very short period of time with, with the Oilers and Titans. Uh, and so, I, you know, when you think about all the guys he had to compete with in the 2000s, like I mentioned last week, you know, you got Reggie Wayne, Marvin yeah, Harrison, it
1: was, it was nasty. Tad
0: Ocho Tori, all Ho, kinds of
1: talent.
0: Isaac Bruce, Larry Fitzgerald, you know, all. And I'm missing, a, I'm probably mentioning missing a bunch of guys, you know, T.O., you
1: know, Moss. You had Randy <laughs>
0: Moss. So you got about 14, 15 top Man. flight receivers that you got to compete with, which would probably explain, you know, the lack of Pro Bowls and all pro selections, but still, you know, Derek Mason, you know. He has Hall of Fame numbers. I'm not sure why he's not already in the Hall, but you know how that – you know, we've seen how that goes. It's it's very hard for receivers to get in. Yeah. You know, it, even, guy, even a guy like T.O. had to wait. And I think that was for other reasons. But, you know, right. you got guys – you know, you got other guys that, you know, probably may not ever get in despite having spectacular numbers. And if you think about the era he played in, you know, he really wasn't. He did, he played in the era where running backs were were getting the ball, three hundred, were having three hundred fifty carries. That's the era he played in, and he was still able to rack up, you know, consecutive thousand yard seasons like it's nothing. So, right. shout out to Derek Mason, man. Hopefully, you know, I can get him on the show one of these days. You know, I've been trying to hit him up, but I haven't had any luck. But yeah, we can Derek.
1: definitely use that. But he was so, he was definitely underrated. Shout out to Derek Mason, Yes, sir. Well, hey, that's all I had. All right, well, that's
0: all we got for y'all today. Thank y'all for tuning in to episode 33 of the First and Foremost Sports Podcast. I'm
1: Jimmy Cousins. All right, and I'm the one and only Quentin Douglas. We
0: out. Thank y'all.
1: Deuces.